Thank you for tuning in and welcome to another episode of the Reinvention Roadmap. When you're a creator, storytelling is a very valuable skill to have. And stories connect people and help you put yourself out there. The best part is you can go to a completely new culture and through the stories you share, you can actually assimilate with this culture and be part of it yourself. My next guest runs a nonprofit, which is centered around the theme of storytelling. And he's also starting a video cohort where he's teaching other people to be storytellers and videographers. Please welcome my good friend, Daniel Andrew Boyd from storyluck.org. Hey, hey. For those who are watching the video, it's nice to internet meet you. Let's shake your hand virtually. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you for that introduction. Mm-hmm. How have you? How have you been? What time is it over there for you? It's eight forty right now. Eight forty p.m. I mean, that's all the right. crazy thing about the pandemic. We have been meeting so many people from all over the world, and irrespective of what time it is, I think we just make a way to talk to each other, share our stories, get to know each other, and that's one of the nicer aspects of the pandemic, minus all the dead people. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But uh, I, th- so- I mean, on some level, that's true, right? Like that happens all the time is that sort of tragedy is, a, it's a silver lining of all tragedies that you become closer to the people who survive. And so that that has been a really amazing silver lining for me that I've been connected to people who I wouldn't have been connected to. And, and you're one of those for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I stayed in the U.S. for six years and I never actually ventured down to Chicago. So you're li- you're right. The the likelihood of uh, us meeting in person is much lower in in a world which is not connected. So I'm glad to know you, my friend. Yeah. So let's get started. Tell me about this 99 second story challenge that you had through Story Luck. Yeah. What happened here? was early on in the pandemic, we wanted to play around with Facebook ads. And I, you know, they're kind of inscrutable. And as time moves forward, they become more and more inscrutable. And they're more expensive than I thought they would be. So we started to think about what could we do to, like, like rather than give Facebook money, what if we gave creators money? Mm-hmm. And so we came up with this idea of doing a, a podcast where we're going to spend a hundred bucks a month or two on Facebook ads. Why don't we just give it to creators and have them help us promote our stuff? So that was sort of the germ of the idea mm-hmm. in where it came from. And on that level, it, you know, we get a lot more engagement. We get a lot more impressions and people hanging out, running a contest than we would clicking the boost button or dialing in on retargeted ads or something like that. On the flip side, we thought that it would be way less work than it is. And it's a lot more work, but it's fulfilling to do and to talk to people about their stories And I'm often very entrenched in a scene of storytellers who are just in love with this narrative format and 
we go to shows all the time, whether virtual or out in the real world. And as you do it, it becomes sort of old hat and the nuances and the things that you're into and your nerves dissipate. But running this contest, you get to see that other side and remember where you were when you started where it was mm-hmm. like, ah, I'm kind of nervous to be on camera. Ah, what, what am I going to do? And so getting to chat with people and sort of help them walk through the steps has, has been very fulfilling. That's awesome. But any reason you picked 99 seconds in particular? Is it yeah. possible to tell a good story in 99 seconds? Or do people innovate and find a way? Yeah, I think that there is a lot of innovation that happens. There's a famous six word story. And so there's a lot of six word story contests that you see. The famous one is by Hemingway. And it's, you know, baby shoes forced sale, never used is the short story. And, And to get that to work, there's an innovation that happens, which is pulling from what we normally think of as mythos, which comes from the horror writer Lovecraft, if people are familiar with him, Mm. really popularized that term and that idea that by seeding little things, little details, you can fill out a background in the audience's mind. Another way to think about that is in your longer works, there's sort of an iceberg theory. And what you do is if you go, say you're doing a fictional novel and you're working on an epic fantasy of like sword and sorcery or something like that. If you go super detailed into the lore of that world in this one sort of sliver and you have it all fleshed out and your characters can talk about it and it's really incredibly detailed and nuanced. Then what happens for the reader is the reader says, wow, this guy has fleshed out everything. Hmm. But really you fleshed out that one thing to make everything else seem robust. And so that's a little trick of the trade and you can use that in 99 second stories. But I also think that 99 seconds is enough to get a full robust story in. And it's surprising. Why did we choose that timeframe? There was a woman in Chicago who early on in the pandemic did 90 seconds and 90 seconds proved to be more like we would create these stories and we'd just constantly be like, Oh, if I had two more seconds, (laughs) if I just had two more, this thing would pop. And in 99 seconds, those extra nine seconds allow you room to breathe. And stories need room to breathe at certain points. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to take a a beat. And it's short enough that for the most part, people don't take their six-minute stories, their eight-minute stories and say, I'm going to tell this as fast as I can, right? Uh Because that's not the answer. They really do 
pare it down and find that essence. With these super short forms, the other thing is it becomes constraints are so helpful, Mm. right? And you see that in everything. If you're going to start painting, uh, a lot of times people will be like, I'm going to paint for a month with just blue. I'm going to paint, you know, and they give themselves these different sort of constraints. As a storyteller, you can do the same thing. And one of those constraints is to be small. Being small also allows you to put in those reps. Hmm. So coming up with five 99 second stories is doable. My buddy, Sean Wellington, he popularized 99 seconds and we worked together to come up with that idea when we were practicing them in our group, the swap shop, the extra nine seconds just was like, was where it was. Yeah. I don't know. Does that answer your, your question? Uh Uh-huh. It does. Yeah. It's a very interesting concept. And I'm wondering if a platform like this could help alleviate trauma or help people share stories that will help them heal through difficult times or something like that. Yeah, for sure. I think story is the vehicle that we use to get everything in our life is story. Everything is predicated on language and That's how we convey our wants and thoughts and needs. And so, of course, yeah, how else could you do it? You know, you you can't Superman this stuff Mm -hmm. and just close your eyes and this too shall pass. It passes when you share it. It passes when you sit down and listen and hear, I'm not alone. Hmm. So I absolutely believe that. It can be in terms of running a contest or going to a show. Those sorts of things can be therapy. And I think that that is okay. But as you move forward and get deeper into the performance narrative world, you step away from it being therapy. And what you Mm. find is you get this immense joy when you turn what was once therapy for you into therapeutic for the audience. So in my personal narrative work, what I'm super interested in is making my story a gift for the audience. And so if it is something where I'm talking about a trauma that I'm working through, I want to be closer to the end where I've worked through it. And then I can share it. This is how I came through to the other side. And giving that to an audience is just so powerful. Valid point. But even when you're not towards the end of experiencing that trauma, even if you're sharing as you go through it, there's still a lot of value in in that story. I mean, you can connect with the audience on an empathetic level and actually do some really good work even when you're going through it. Kind of like a build-in public, but for, but for real life, I guess. 
when you're showing the people that, yeah, you're flawed and you're not perfect, you don't have all the answers, but you're still putting right. yourself out there in a way. Yeah, yeah. When storytelling is an art form that's really cool in that it's so inclusive and the audience comes to it with such a kind and open heart. Almost anything else that you do, whether you're an actor or a painter or a writer, and especially if you're a comedian, which storytelling often gets sort of paired with, there's almost this feeling of getting judged when you get on stage mm -hmm. and the audience sits there and says, how are you going to make me laugh? You, I want to be entertained. How are you going <laughs> to do it? But that isn't the feeling or the vibe at any sort of storytelling show. And people don't have to be incredible entertainers. People don't have to have crafted these stories. Just them getting on stage and sharing sometimes for the first time stuff that's happened to them because it's what's on their heart to tell. Mm -hmm. Right? Like if you do one thing right and it's really good, that can carry a story and it doesn't matter that you stuttered. It doesn't matter that you tripped. It doesn't matter that some of the timeline doesn't make sense. And to speak directly to what you're saying is one of those things that you can do really well, especially when you're in a place of this story totally confuses me and I don't know why I'm telling it yet, but it's just like, I have to get it out. And I, the only way I would do it is if I stepped on stage and shared it or shared it in a contest or something. Cause I just like, ah, <laughs> when the people get up there and have that experience, what comes through really well is their authenticity. Hmm. And if you are authentic, right? If you're just being you very present in the moment, that just carries the day. And it's, it's, it's a cool thing. Nice. That's a lovely way to put it. So now you're, you're starting, you're working on a new project and you're building a school for YouTubers of sorts. You're building a, a, an online cohort for people who are looking to be video creators and people who want to share stories by putting themselves out there on social media. So can you talk a little bit more about that new course that you're building? Yeah. So I'm going to throw it out there right at the top. This is the number one thing. Like we do a ton of stuff. This is the number one thing that I want your audience involved in. I think that Video is the answer. It will help you scale everything that you're working on. And having the connection is so much easier when people can see you and look in your eyes. The other thing about video is that it's so it has so much ability to be cut up. You can cut it, you know, your five-minute story, you can cut it to be a 99-second story. Mm. right shoot once 
and then share it a million times. You, you can take the transcript and you can throw that up as a blog. You can rip the audio and throw that out as a podcast. And then you can do the same thing where it's the six minute podcast and it's the 99 second podcast because you've already done the work to cut it up. It's so versatile that it, is, it becomes all, also overwhelming. I'm so like, I'm like, ah, biting at the bit to, to continue to work on this. Mm -hmm. One of the things that brought me to it, all the things that brought me to it, you're just going to get the brain dump is I spent a huge part of the pandemic where I'm at this place in my storytelling where I want to devour deeper level thoughts about storytelling. And that's what I want to be working on. That's what I write mostly about fundamentals, developmental storytelling, what are the different nuances for different audiences and thinking really deeply about the mechanics and things like that. But the vast majority of audience out there is people who are afraid to be on stage, people who feel like they don't have a story to tell, people who, you know, th that sort of thing. And it wasn't the place that I wanted to be. So during the pandemic, I created this show called Workshop Workshop, where I would get mostly seasoned storytellers on people who wrote for Comedy Central, people who were, were comedians and, and writers and moth Grand Slam winners and stuff like that. And I would get them on and we would do these deep dives into their story and we'd spend an hour or two hours just talking about a five to 10 minute story that they had and getting them to tell it multiple times and then comparing and contrasting and, and doing that sort of thing. And it was so it was very valuable to me. It was very valuable to them. You know, they went on and did great things with their stories. But we weren't connecting to an audience because, again, the majority of the audience isn't there yet. Hmm. And I was just thinking about what do I want to work on next? Like, am I going to build out a course that's like my basic course uh, am I going to keep teaching people these like fundamental, like in six minutes, I'm going to change your life sort of <laughs> workshops. Right. And those I, are, those are a load of bull crap. If I'm honest. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you've got a question that's like, well, what can I do to fix it? If I'm a noob like me. And I think you can, like, I think you can, people don't, teach storytelling and it's partly because it's so ubiquitous everything we do is storytelling so we think oh you don't have to teach it right you're watching movies every single ad you see is is a story you narrativize your day to make it make sense like you're constantly in story but we don't sit down and talk about the fundamental mechanics of what's happening when you sit there and tell a friend about your day. And so it makes sense that 
as soon as you tell, you know, here are six things real fast, boom, 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 start with stakes, you know, have a fulcrum point where there's change in the story. You can say these really quick quips and it becomes boom, 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 light bulb. And it will really, if people haven't heard or thought about this stuff, it can very quickly revolutionize their communication skills. So I, I don't think it's that much bullshit, but it's not, it wasn't the work that I wanted to be doing because I personally am not in that space anymore hmm. with video. I'm in that space. I don't do a lot of video. My, my work has been on stage and in intimate gatherings and like going to halls where I'm telling stories to thousands of people. That's my space. And it, is different to be on video. And so creating this course gives me the want to learn about this every single week to get better for myself. And that helps me teach other people. And just thinking about my creative journey and my learning journey, you can learn a lot from experts but there's always this feel of, I don't know. I like, I'll go to a class of something that I'm not good at. And partly I, I do this to like up my teaching skills. Like I'll take a math course cause I'm bad at math and I'll just be like, I have no idea what this man is talking about or what he's doing. So to remind myself what it's like to be there and to get through that, what I have to do is turn to my peers and find the ones that are as confused as me or just like a little ahead of me because mm -hmm. then they can explain it in a way that empathizes with me, makes me feel safe, where that's where my huge growth comes from in any skill where I'm starting out is to be surrounded with people who are starting out. I can go and get a book by experts. I can go see experts, but being in a cohort where it's like user run, where we're learning together, hmm. that's what accelerates me. And if that rings true for you, hearing that like, yeah, when I was learning in school, I learned the best when I was in the study room with a bunch of my friends and we're all asking questions and we're all together saying, I don't get this. And then finally somebody gets it and they have the way to explain it to you. And that's when it lightning bolts. That's what I want to create for this YouTube course. Uh, and you can go to storylock.org and sign up for our next one that's incoming and get news and email letters that we're slowly putting together and sending out. Because that's what I want to create. I want a ton of people to be beginners and start the journey together. And it's all about all of us helping each other. Got it. On that note, what do you think are like the key blockers for first time YouTubers or like first time content creators? What do you think prevents people from getting stuff out there initially? Yeah, I think 
YouTube is no joke. It is difficult. There are so there's so much friction from start to finish. It coming from the storytelling world where there's so little friction. Yeah, jump on, you know, you can grab a friend and be like, tell me a story and they'll do it and they can do it from worrying about equipment to having to deal with the strangeness of speaking to a camera as though it was a human being. That's a real skill to envision that one person who's in your audience. And I don't think it's intuitive to think about it like that. You think, I'm gonna do a video and I want a million people to watch it. And how does your brain process a million people? You don't think to yourself, you know what, these million people who might watch this video see it one-on-one. -on -one. They see it not like you're talking to a giant crowd. They see it as though you're talking directly to them. The trick is to think of one person and record it as though you're telling it directly to that one person that you want to tell. And that's what makes it possible to connect with so many because it really is trickily a one-on-one -on -one communication medium. You're talking to one person at a time, but you get to do it at a great scale. There's so many little tricks that I'm slowly learning and stuff like that. I think all of that causes goofy friction because when you're talking to, okay, I'm addressing a crowd, you can see just in that little bit, it, it, it feels weird. It feels off, but you don't know why it's off. You've got to have those conversations with friends. You've got to be like researching it and stuff like that. Video editing is a whole skill, <laughs> right? And it's, it is talk about things that people aren't taught, right? But it's so useful. It becomes more and more ubiquitous every day as Every platform starts adding integrated tools, but be it YouTube or Snapchat or TikTok. So yeah, it's a huge friction for, for everybody to learn that skill. You're completely overwhelmed. Should I use Final Cut Pro? Should I use Premiere Pro? Should I use any of the myriad, kabillion zillion programs that are free or $1.99? Should I download this app and I be using this app? Where do I go? So curation and directing people to the right sort of software. It, it, there's that idea of tyranny of choice. In video editing, it's just nonstop tyranny of choice. <laughs> what camera should I buy? What microphone should I buy? What blah, blah, blah. And the answer is the equipment that you have is the equipment you should be using. Almost everybody has a, a video camera on their phone. Just use it. And the skill jump comes from doing the thing way more than comes from 
the tools. Mm -hmm. So you want to be doing the thing as much as possible. You know, you asked one question, I'm getting into the answers of what you should do to get over those things. But, but yeah, I think that it's very difficult. I think it's a scary thing and it's a scary thing to do alone. I think if you do it alone, it's obviously possible, but it's so much less fun to sit there and for uh, a video, it, it's six months to two years of putting out regular content before you find your footing and find an audience. And this is, I've, I've been researching tons of people. This is everybody's journey. It's just, they want it so badly that they keep making it, even though there's no audience, there's no reaction. There's so little feedback and data that you're getting. But when you create it in a cohort where you have these friends who are obligated to look and give you that feedback, the acceleration happens so much faster and it becomes fun to do in and of itself. So if nobody sees the work other than these people that you care about and you're helping, that's all you need. And then it becomes fun and then it becomes this medium for play and creating art and it's fun to have that happen. Mm -hmm. And I think a major part of the initial hump is probably imposter syndrome or this feeling that you're not good enough to put your stuff out there. And that's a major blocker. I, I did see that you wrote some essays on this topic. And if you'd like to elaborate, that would be great. How are you helping these people overcome imposter syndrome and, and put content out there? Yeah. Um, yeah, let me think what I want to say. All right. If you are listening to this, whether it's on the podcast or you're watching it, and the, if imposter syndrome is something that you're feeling, I'm just going to do the trick and speak directly to you right now. And I hope that this is helpful, but I give you permission to do the thing that you want to do. You are not an imposter. And I believe that. And I know that with all my heart. Whatever the creative thing that you want to do that comes authentically from inside you and what you bring to it, no one else can bring to it. And whether that means that it's sloppy, whether that means it's awkward, or whether that means that it's the most polished, incredible thing the world has ever seen. What's core to that is that it's you and only you could do it. You've had a lifetime of experiences and you're the expert in being you. You're the expert in showing us your own vision. And when you feel those feelings of being an imposter, 
that's when you're trying to be someone else. So notice that, acknowledge it, and try to figure out who it is you're sort of trying to mimic. You know, is it some big time director? Is it some big time artist? Is it something that you see that you want to attain? And try to come back to that humble place and realize the only thing that you want to do is push out a vision that is unique and that is yours. And if you can get to that place, I think that you can, you're the expert at being you. And you can't be an imposter when you are being yourself. Uh, yeah, it, it's something in, it, for me that I find it helpful in that Wizard of Oz kind of way where they all come and they say they, they want these things that they aren't. And he just looks at them and he's like, you're crazy. You're already all those things. Why do you need someone to tell you? I, fine, I'll tell you. You're courageous. You've got a brain. You have an incredible heart. Uh, that's powerful because we do need that outside validation sometimes. And so just to hammer it home, I give you permission. You have permission to be yourself, to be an expert about your own work and your own thoughts and to put that out in the world. I, th I think that it's necessary and it grows the community and the conversation in ways that are serendipitous in ways that you can't understand until you're doing this work and putting it out regularly. And it's necessary. It's necessary. It's necessary to see the rough drafts and for everyone else who's further in the journey, rising tide raises all boats. It helps that there are more and more people creating art and being creatives. Mm. Be part of that. That's amazing. That's a really good message. And I liked how you broke the fourth wall and addressed the viewers directly. So how are you planning to monetize this video cohort? And based on your experiences as a first time course producer, would you would you recommend this to everyone else out there? Like they should try creating a course of their own. How are we going to monetize it? So yes, the course, you, people will have to pay for it. And that, that's the answer there. There's a, a lot of ways that monetization will build up over time. We'll be able to create templates that we can sell that are e easy to use for bumpers and for intros and outros and things like that. We can make mini courses on specific things that are don't need to be live, that they that you're learning from people that you've already understood the lexicon from and are friends with. And that creating that cohort sort of bond with people helps you consume the stuff that they like you have the bond 
you know the way they teach. That's a big deal. Being with people continually is just a great motivation technique. And so I think people will pay for that. I think I would tack on that story luck is a 501c3 or a nonprofit. And I never want money to stand in the way of someone creating art that they love. Hmm. This is as it grows, this is something that easily scales. We have weekly calls. It doesn't matter whether 20 people are there or 200 or a thousand. We can speak to that many people and you can learn from the questions other people have because most of the time we're having the same questions. People get stuck in the same spots. Yep. So if you're out there and you want to join this thing and money is the number one factor that stops you from creating what you want to create, get in contact, send me a DM, ex explain your story and we'll work something out. So I always want that to be that that's true of everything that I've ever produced any sort of live show. And there it's rare because it is a hard thing to do to ask someone for a gift, hmm. but it happens, you know, Hey, I can't even afford the 15 bucks for your show, but I really want to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll get you in. I'll figure it out. Do, should people build courses like this? A hundred percent. And it is something that is inherent in this sort of course that as it grows, we will want people to cluster off cohorts are just clusters of people who want to work on the same things and finding people that you want to work together with and build with and encourage. Yeah. Even if you could do it alone, why would you? Awesome. I'm really looking forward to what you do with this course and looking forward to all the student videos and the outcomes from this course. And uh, it's been great having you on, Dan. It's, yeah. uh, it's a pleasure. And if you haven't already, follow Dan on Twitter at StoryLuck. And you can check out his video cohort at storyluck.org. Storyluck and you can sign up for the next one, which is happening in October. I'm guessing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It'll start up in October and we just put yourself on our email list. It's, it's pinned to the top. The tentative name of the cohort is shoot 42 and it's a six week class and it's going to be a ton of fun and we will get better together. If video is something that you want to work on and I believe no matter what it is you're working on video is a, just a fantastic place to start because it allows you to create the content, to reach out to people. You've already created the video. 
everything can come from that, which we talked about earlier. I think be with friends, have fun with us. And yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you for having me on Sushil. This is, this has been a fun talk. Hopefully it wasn't too much pontification. <laughs> I get, no, I get no. excited once we get into the crooks of these questions. No, I love the energy and uh, yeah, it's been great having you on and we are going to be having these fun conversations with talented creators from all over the world. Every Friday, a new episode with Geld released. So if you liked what you saw today, then please like and subscribe and share with anyone who needs it. And uh, see you next time. Mm -hmm.